You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I know Kung Fu. Show me. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Welcome to the John Weldon Show. Recording in progress. Here we go. So, welcome. Welcome to our next get-together here. Our next little gathering of uh, indestructible leaders, family. Glad to have you here. Thank you for joining me this week. It's going to be a good time. Going to be a good time. Having a little coffee. My, uh, I had this mug. It was one of my favorite coffee mugs. A friend had mailed it to me, um, I don't know, eight years ago, something like that. And just as a surprise, out of the blue, it's, uh, it's kind of from office space. And uh, it got broke a few, oh, six months ago. Um, dropped it in the kitchen, something like that. And then for Christmas, um, Karen got me a new one. She got me a replacement and uh, surprised me. And um, yeah, totally surprised me. I was, it was just perfect how the thoughtfulness that went into that, that she was paying attention and noticed, oh, one of his favorite mugs got broken. I can replace that. So yeah, here I am with my mug. I think about it every time and uh yeah i've been looking forward to sharing some thoughts with you today i want to talk today about leadership but specifically i'm i want to talk today about trusting yourself now here's something that we don't hear about we don't hear about it in the church especially we don't hear about it in most conversations where it really <clears throat> the importance of actually trusting yourself is just not a topic that gets brought up um i think of um in the church in christianity we have such a theological focus on the heart being desperately wicked above all things as it says in jeremiah and how our righteousness is as filthy rags, as it says in Isaiah. And um, there's so many, so many of these verses that get brought out theologically just to paint this picture of how, <clears throat> how evil and gross and disgusting and horrible we are as human beings. And that every thought that we have is evil and that we really should not trust ourselves because of all of these concepts, all of these theological statements that we've been taught. The challenge here, though, is that none of those are applied to you as a new creation in the new covenant. As the bride of Christ, as a new creation in the new covenant, none of these things are true of you. And because they're not true of you, you can't just pluck verses out of a different covenant and try to apply them to yourself. If 
every thought of your heart is wicked and your righteousness is as filthy rags and your heart is desperately wicked who can know it if those are true of you you are not a new covenant believer but if you are a new covenant believer he's taken out the heart of stone he's put in a heart of flesh he's exchanged your righteousness for his righteousness he's already done this whole trade and if that being the case that's not your standing and those are verses that were true and no longer apply to you as a new covenant person so from that foundation of those verses not applying starting from a foundation of a better covenant that we live inside of what i want to talk about is actually trusting yourself which is a hard topic because there's so much emotional baggage that gets in the way and reasons and explanations and understandings that block us from trusting ourselves see when you're like a little child like it says in the kingdom to become like a little child little children trust themselves you need some examples try to feed a little kid they know they want to eat the gummy worms and the gummy bears they don't want to eat the coleslaw they don't want to eat the broccoli or the asparagus they know and they trust themselves they have no question about it they trust themselves they jump off of the couch and believe that they can fly or that they will not get injured they have a certain level of trusting themselves that they over time they learn sometimes the floor hurts sometimes I need to eat something other than gummies because I feel sick to my stomach. There's things they learn. So they start to trust themselves uh, actually to have better choices. But over a lifetime, we build up these layers in our life. We build up these layers of, I tried this before and I got punished for it. I tried this and it blew up in my face. I I was direct. I, I went and I asked the girl out and she shot me down. I went and tried to pursue my spouse and they weren't interested. I tried this business venture and I went bankrupt. I, I've talked, I have a friend, I, he tried uh, doing stock options, uh, trading options. He said, I did it one time. I lost $3,500 and I'm like, I'm out no more. There's so many things that people come up with. I've tried something. I learned something. I'm never doing that again. So trusting yourself is not just a thing. It's not just a skill, but it's something you have to reintroduce when you make a mistake. That's when it's hardest. That is when it is hardest. When you've fallen on your face, you've messed up, People are angry at you. People say they don't trust you. And you have to find a way to actually step back out and trust yourself again. Now, you don't do that until you actually become trustworthy. So the first thing that has to happen is you have to back up 
and become trustworthy again. Somebody that is worth trusting because you have a track record of actions and integrity that builds something where you say, you know, based on what I've seen in my life, I trust me. Then over time, other people can start to trust you as well. But first, you have to become trustworthy by building the track record. Then you trust yourself. Then other people trust you. So it's a process. Three steps. Trustworthy, trust yourself, other people trust you. So it radiates out from that core of being trustworthy to begin with. Now, I want to talk uh, some from my own story, my own journey today. Uh, and I also want to share some verses and some, some concepts with you from scripture that connect with this. One that came to mind was in um, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? That's an important point. One of the, I, I had this um, psychiatrist that I was visiting, uh, going to uh, as a client uh, about five years ago. And um, this was the place I actually went to that did the official test and said, yes, you're a narcissist and the whole deal. And she started working with me to address that. Um, it was talk therapy. So I'd pay for an hour. I'd go in, I would talk for 55 minutes and she would ask one or two questions and give me like tiny bit of homework. It was, I don't know. I didn't get anything out of it. Um, it was interesting. I think it was a little bit eye-opening that it showed me what talk therapy was but it didn't, uh, it didn't help me do the deep emotional work that I needed to do. And so um, in those sessions, though, one of the things, there was a point that she made one week, and this stuck with me, uh, was that nobody knows your motives. They can see your actions. They can hear your words. But nobody knows your intents and nobody knows your motives. That's like here where it says, nobody knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them. And I had a lot of people at that time that were coming at me with judgments toward my motives. There's even, um, lower this a little bit, there we go. Uh, even some of the blogs that were written about me uh, were so interesting because they were filled with a projection of my motives. Well, John did this because of da, 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 da. And it was projection of my motives. And as I read it, I'm like, I did these actions, but this is a complete misinterpretation of my motives. So only you actually know what's going on inside you, going on inside you. And that's important because if you're, if we're gonna have a conversation about trusting yourself, you 
are the best judge of what's actually going on inside you. Now, you might not be in touch with it. You might be in denial, defense, blocking it, whatever. But when you hear somebody actually start to explain to you, like I did, I started going through No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. And he began to describe the feelings and the motivations and the intents and all of these things. And I was like, that is actually what was driving my crappy behavior. That right there is what was going on with me. That is uh, when your core begins to connect with, that's what's actually happening with me. That's what's going on here. So you, you actually have the ability to connect with that truth when you start to see it. When it shows up in front of you, you have a natural radar that goes, yes, that's what's happening inside me. And other people's projections and whether they trust you or not is not the determining factor of whether you're trustworthy or not. So I want to read a couple of stories to you from the Old Testament. And I, I've been thinking about how to, how to explain these because they're very strange. But at the same time, one of these is one of my favorites. I just think I never hear anybody tell this story. And it is, it is one of the weirdest uh, and most incredible little stories in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Kings chapter 13. And it's about a prophet who shows up in Israel and he does an incredible power encounter battle and he's never named. It never even gives him a name. It just says the man of God. So here is the story of this prophet. This 1 Kings 13. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came to Judah from Bethel, from Judah to Bethel, as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the most high, the priests of the high places who make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. When King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Then the king said to the man of God, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. So the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and became as it was before. The king said to the man of God, come home with me for a meal and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. So he took another road and he did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. All right, so let's pause there for a second. 
this prophet shows up. No name, just the man of God. And he now prophesies against the king and against the altar. He declares against the altar. The altar splits in half. The king points at him. The king's arm and hand shrivel up so he can't even pull his hand back. So I picture that like uh, Indiana Jones and the the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, like the the all them shriveling up, like it shrivels up. He declares, you know, intercede for me that I be healed. He gets healed. He says, oh, thank God I'm healed. Now I will give you a gift and I will bless you. And he says, even if you gave me half your stuff, God told me, do not go home with you. Do not stay here. Do and go home a different way. So he leaves. Now, here's where we get a little deeper into the lesson of the story. Now, there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there in that day. They also told their father what he had said to the king. <clears throat> their father asked them, which way did he go? And the son showed him which road the man of God from Judah had taken. He said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. Then when they had saddled the donkey, he mounted it and he rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and said, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. The man of God said, I cannot turn back and go with you nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way you came. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet, as you are. And an angel said to me by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. While they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back. He cried out to the man of God who came from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You've defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. When the man of God had finished eating and drinking, the prophet who had brought him back saddled his donkey for him. As he went out on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was left lying on the road with both donkey and the lion standing beside it. Some people who passed by saw the body lying there with the lion standing beside the body, and they went and reported it to the city where the old prophet lived. When the prophet who had brought him back from his journey heard of it, he said, <clears throat> it is the man of God who defied the word of the Lord. The Lord had given him over to the lion, which has mauled him and killed him as the word of the Lord had warned. The prophet said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me, and they did so. Then they went out and found the body lying in the road with the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion had neither eaten the body nor mauled the donkey. So the prophet picked up the body of the man of God, laid it on his donkey, and brought it back to his own city to mourn for him and bury him. Then he laid the body in his own tomb, and they mourned over him and said, Alas, my brother. 
After burying him, he said to his sons, when I die, bury me in the grave with the man as God, man of God is buried, lay my bones beside his bones. For the message he declared by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places of the towns of Samaria will certainly come true. Powerful story. There's a lot of nuggets in there. I think uh, it's hard because we we look at somebody who is older, seems wiser, has their own history with God, has their own reputation with God. Something like this situation here is a prophet of God, the whole deal. And he even one-ups him, you know, oh, I got a word of the Lord. And an angel came to me and said this, but he was lying. It wasn't telling the truth. And he had his own self-interests that were directing what he had to say. And what did this young man of God prophet do? Who had this profound, I mean, just explosive entrance into power, prophetic ministry. Well, next thing you know, just like that, he gives up his own discernment of what he hears the Lord saying to him, hands it over to this older prophet and says, okay, I'll go home with you and eat with you and drink with you. And they get to the house. And now the old prophet begins to prophesy to him, you have violated what the Lord told you to do and you're going to die. And the next day he goes out and the lion kills him just like that. It's a pretty intense story about trusting yourself. Not just handing over your discernment to somebody else. Just because they're older, more seasoned in ministry, etc., etc. It could be a lot of different ways that you look at that and apply that. But I've, I've been guilty of this myself. I've been down this road where uh, at times I trusted uh, other leaders and their perspectives more than my own. And there's times where that's very wise to get that correction and redirection. It's wild too, because if you back up a chapter, the chapter right before this talks about how after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became the new king of Israel. At that time, he asked the older counselors, uh, who were counselors to his father, how should I step into being king? And they said, you need to lighten the load of the burden that is on the shoulders of Israel. Become a king that they love, that they favor, that they say, you know, it, it's amazing how wonderful this new king is. Then he asked his advisors, who were his buddies, his own age, and they said, no, you need to rule with an iron fist. You need to bring it down hard on these people. They're too lazy. So he decides to go with the advice of his friends rather than the older, wise counsel of these, these older leaders. And it, it talks about how horrendous and oppressive he became as the next king and really 
uh, tanked what Israel had going between a wonderful King David, an amazing King Solomon, and then Rehoboam just devastated Israel. And it was the choice for him between do I trust these older counselors and their wisdom or do I trust the counselors my age and their wisdom, completely opposite wisdom. So you got that story. The very next story is about not trusting the older counselor in chapter 13. So chapter 12 paints the picture of he should have listened to and trusted the older counselor. Chapter 13, he should have trusted himself and not the older prophet. See, in the story of Rehoboam, he wasn't trusting himself. He wasn't hearing from the Lord. So that you have to kind of weigh between the young prophet who he knew he had heard from the Lord and he knew it clear enough <clears throat> to push back against the king and say, no way. But when it came to the older prophet, he didn't push back against him anywhere near the same level. He didn't reject him in the way that he rejected the king. Now, how do we apply this? Because like I said, these two chapters back to back, in some ways tell opposite stories. But at the core of it is Rehoboam didn't know or trust himself. He was trying to trust some outside source. This young man, he knew what the Lord had told him, and he didn't rely on it. He trusted an outside source, and it got himself killed by the lion. In both cases, the problem would be solved by actually trusting themselves. If they had trusted themselves purely, then they could take the wisdom and the input, but actually fall back on, I trust what I've heard from the Lord, and I'm going to go with that. A lot of times we don't want to take the responsibility of making a wrong choice. So we outsource we outsource our choice. We outsource our discernment so that then later we can actually blame somebody else for the wrong decision that we made. Now, it might not be that clear that we're aware of what we're doing, um, but we do it. I think, for example, of uh, when Karen and I, when I first blew up the ministry back in September 2018, we separated because there was just this initial trauma of our feelings and hurts and humiliation, embarrassment, everything she was processing, she needed that space. And so we, we split up and we started meeting with Danny Silk every week and over Zoom and we're, we're working toward fixing things. And at a certain point, she was, she was just simply saying, I don't, I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to trust. So Danny, you tell me when it's okay for Jonathan and I get back together. You, you tell me, you guide me. And she outsourced her discernment to Danny. The unfortunate thing about that is it's disempowering 
when you actually outsource your discernment. So she outsourced it. Danny, around New Year's of 2018, 2019, that, that transition year, um, New Year's, said, yeah, you guys go ahead and get back together. It seems like things are doing better. And so we did. I moved back in. Seemed like things were better uh, for a while. And then in the spring, the late winter, early spring of 2020, so about a year later, she started actually trusting herself and her own discernment and her own interactions with uh, counselors and therapists that she was talking with and came to the conclusion, this marriage is not okay. This is not a marriage I can live in like this for decades to come. It's not okay. And so she, at that point, had actually taken her power back to trust herself again, to re-empower herself and to make a new decision to kick me out. But then when I did the work in Bulletproof Husband and rebuilt her trust, by the end of that summer, she was the one who then made the call to say, I want you to move home. I want to move forward with this relationship. And it was uh, August of 2020. I remember the conversation. We're sitting on our back patio. And uh, she said, if you, if you go back to the asshole that you've been, I'm out. But if you continue down the road the way you have been and the way that I see you showing up now, I want to be married to that forever. Okay. That's very clear. But she, at that point, she was trusting herself to make that choice, to make that judgment call, and to move forward. And so we did. But it's easy. It's easy to outsource your choices and then sit back and say, well, I, that didn't work out. That didn't work out the way I expected it to. And I'm not totally to blame because I followed the advice of so-and-so. But at the end of the day, we're all actually responsible for our own choices. And part of all of this that I've, I've been processing for myself, uh, I was having a conversation recently with a few of my guys who are part of my board now. And uh, they were saying, you know, Jonathan, it seems like, seems like this is an area where you need to trust yourself more and actually move forward. And I realized, yeah, they're onto something. So I started digging in to do the emotional work around this and realizing there's then a level of still waiting for approval from an outside source, a sense of, I want somebody else to rubber stamp and say, you're all good. We believe in you. Go for it. We're cheering you on. We're championing you. Da 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 da. And instead, what I I keep running into with different uh, leaders behind the scenes that I've talked with, I had a a conversation with one recently who said, "Well, you know, this bulletproof thing sounds good. You know, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll know we'll know in 20 years." 
uh, I'll, I'll look at 20 years from now. I'm like, 20 years? Bitch, you're going to be dead in 20 years. That's the guy. But he's like in his mid-60s. Like, are you out of your mind? You're not going to believe in somebody in restoration and want to see them succeed and cheer somebody on in the kingdom and a young leader that you stand with and believe for and believe with. You're not going to get on board with them and, and help. You're going to wait 20 years. Give me a freaking break. This is how messed up we are. This is how all that really exposed was a massive trust issue going on between him and myself. Does that make me untrustworthy? Not at all. It just means that he doesn't trust me. Is that me or is that him? Well, that's him. But at the same time, is there something I can do to take responsibility? Absolutely. Can I look at that and say, how can I help this other person move into a place of trust? How can I lead them and take responsibility for the trust, the distrust that they're walking in? How can I take ownership of this and help them in this process? Or, or not. Responsibility is always a choice. Now, I could choose to take on that responsibility or I could choose not to. Do I want to lead this person into a new place or do I not want to lead this person into a new place? Good question. Something I should actually have to figure out. So at the end of it, though, I realized I was still looking for an outside source of approval or endorsement or affirmation or an attaboy or a go for it and realizing that is that is nice guy syndrome that is nice guy tendency to approval seek to desire somebody else to stand behind you and put that stamp on you and at the end of the day i know my wife is for me my entire board is for me and believes in me and trusts me. Um, Danny Silk released his letter and he stands behind me, wants to see me thrive and succeed in ministry again. But I still have had this lingering thing that's been messing with my confidence of how much do I step out? Should I keep pushing out into this forerunning role? Should I be the person who shows up and keeps plowing forward into masculinity and kingdom and authenticity in this way that uh, at times feels very lonely, but also because of the desire that I've been hung up on waiting for that stamp. And so I keep being challenged by from the Lord is this story in 1 Kings 13 that says you need to trust yourself. You need to trust yourself and move forward. And I had to start looking at why don't I trust myself? Because people can say all kinds of things from the outside 
But unless it actually has a landing strip inside your heart, it doesn't connect. But there was a landing strip because if I go back to a mistake that I made earlier in my ministry back 12 years ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that at this point, um, I moved forward out of a season of restoration back then uh, without approval. And I moved forward um, and then I blew myself up again a decade later. And I think part of what I've looked back over my shoulder is saying, even though I have approval to move forward this time, I don't know if I am still dragging with me the desire for approval from the first time around. Instead of being a self-assured, confident, masculine, self-trusting man, I've been holding back. And I realize I've been holding back. Like I'll put up one post for two weeks and I know I have more to say. I have more thoughts to share. I have more things that I want to put out there, but I hold back. And looking at that going, that's what's holding me back is that I have been waiting for some approval from the outside instead of actually trusting that the Lord has put me in this spot. He's given me this calling. He's put me in a place to lead the way for authenticity and masculinity to be restored in the church and the the fear of how will this be received and how will people respond and what boxes people may want to put me in or that they might not like how i'm showing up nowadays the approval seeking tendency has still got a layer that i've been confronting and i I've had some major breakthrough on it in the last week. And so I'm, I'm showing up to you in process. I am not going to claim that I have completed that work, but I can tell you, I can see it. My board is seeing it and speaking with me about it and challenge me, get in there, get after it. You know how to do this work. And I've been doing the work. I mean, you might hear it <clears throat> in my throat being raspy as I've been emotionally dealing and processing some of this out, but realizing there's been um, approval seeking rather than having 100% of my own self-approval and trusting myself at that higher level. Now, I know the temptation is oh, send Jonathan an email giving him a lot of affirmation or recommending a book or some essential oils or some weird, you know, meditation Reiki yoga thing that he could do or, you know, whatever. There's all the, how you can help, ah, all the nice people who want to help. No, I'm not, I have no interest. Thank you. Please hear my uh, thank you and my appreciation for the heart behind that. Um, Please don't clog up my, my communication channels with any of that. I'm not looking for any of that. 
what I'm trying to do here is actually share with you in the process of this growth of that this is important for any leader to be self-assured, self-trusting, confident, and able to move forward without needing to seek everybody's approval. Now, do they want certain people's approval? Maybe. I want my wife on board with whatever I do. I want my board to be on board and walk closely with whatever I do. But outside of that, am I still waiting for some rubber stamp from a pseudo spiritual father who lives, you know, the other side of the planet or the other side of the country? And I talk with a couple times a year. No, I'm not. I'm not sitting around waiting for that anymore. Am I, am I waiting for my, you know, toxic extended family members to say, we believe in you, go for it, go make the well name great again or whatever. No, not probably never will hear from certain extended family members that I've had to put up strong boundaries toward for the safety of my family. Uh, and I'm never going to have their approval or they're cheering on. Are the people that were hurt by my previous actions going to be like, yes, we want to see you go for it. Probably not. They have no idea what's going on in my world. They've blocked me. They've moved on with their life. Understood. Understandable. And although I wish I could get everybody to trust me and everybody to be on board and have approval of the whole planet. That's not what a leader does. A leader takes their assignment, takes their purpose, gets on their mission and moves forward. And I've become trustworthy. I trust me. My wife trusts me. My board trusts me. My close friends who are around and know me trust me. So I've got to move forward. And anything residual that's sitting in my heart that says, I'm waiting for approval. No, I'm not. And that's not the Lord saying I'm waiting for approval. That's a broken place that's old and needs to be confronted. I'm telling you my story, but I hope this is confronting you right where you're at. Maybe you're holding off on something as a business leader because you're like, I need everybody's approval. I need everybody to, you know, agree with my decision before I go change this or that. No, you don't. You might need to do the emotional work around how you feel like you failed yourself in the past and made some bad decisions. And now you are gun shy. You're, you're just not willing to take the risks and make the confident choices and move forward because you've made mistakes before. Maybe you're the pastor who uh, you had a guy in your church who blew up his marriage, blew up his life, made a bunch of mistakes, and now he's get his life back together, but you're not sure, can I actually trust him again? And maybe the Lord's actually told you you're supposed to. You're supposed to restore this person and move forward, but you're just not sure. Will everybody be okay? Will everybody be on board? I've had, I've been in that spot. I've had leaders tell me like, I see it. I believe it. I believe in the change. 
but I'm not sure. I'm still counting the cost of being in relationship or connected with you or believing in you or pushing forward what the Lord's doing in your life because how it might affect them in their ministry. I'm like, hey, I get it. I get it. I understand. I just don't want to be that guy who holds back. I want to deal with whatever's in the way and keep moving forward because that's what I believe a strong leader does. Strong leader deals responsibly with their feelings and gets back on their feet and moves forward. I've thrown a lot at, a lot at you. Um, not sure exactly where to land this, but um, I've shared a lot of personal stuff in this uh, in this time together today, and I hope that uh, I hope that helped you. Um, this is how I want to show up for our, get our time together in a raw, open, not everything is done and not showing up going, look, I dealt with everything. I'm perfect now. Now as a perfect person, let me tell you how to be a perfect person. I am not a perfect person. And I'm done trying to pretend to be a perfect person to make all the other fake perfect people happy. No, I'm gonna show up authentic and I'm gonna be real with you. And I'm gonna talk to you the way I talk to my friends. And this is how we're gonna have our time together. So I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, I'll give you your money back keeping in mind that it's free, there you go. You have your money back. But this is, this is how I want our time to be because I think it's, it's far past time that leaders have real conversations and don't just show up with formulas and here's six steps to being the perfect leader and blah, 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 blah. I trust myself as a husband I'm an amazing husband. I trust myself as a father. I'm an amazing father. I trust myself as a theologian, as a Bible teacher. I trust myself as an amazing men's coach for marriage and masculinity. What I'm working on trusting myself more is to step out and lead as a leader in the church, in ministry, in public life ministry again because i don't know how to play the game anymore and that's okay because the game is broken and it sucks and it needs to die and i'm okay with that i just don't know how to do it anymore and so i'm figuring out how to do it do it a new way and give myself approval to move forward because i have the approval from all the parties that are important to me the Lord, my wife, my board, etc. Just working on 
connecting fully with giving myself that approval. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Oh